listening to Hot Topics Refrain, topics that are hot with a lot of thought with Becky Hayes and Cedric Taylor. All right, welcome back. And today we're going to be discussing something that, I mean, I study as a criminologist, but I don't necessarily want to have to talk about because it's personal this time. Well, it's been personal in the past too, but we're going to talk about violence and particularly a little bit focusing on gun violence. Um, and then bring it on into pop culture violence and the acceptance of that. So um, I guess we can kind of start with personal feelings regarding the Michigan State uh, school, school shooting because we uh, both live in this community. Yeah, I think, I think we're all shook. We're all shook. I was a, a grad student. I did my graduate studies at Michigan State University. I believe you as well. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it was just so surreal. I was coming in from work from Ann Arbor and saw some lights um, just, you know, coming up fast behind me. And I was like, oh, great. Because I, I knew I had gone over the speed limit. And um, I was expecting to be you know, pulled over. But the police unit whizzed by. And, I mean they were hightailing it mm-hmm. toward uh, the Lansing area. And so I was like, wow. Something's going on. Something is up. Something is up. And at home, we have, uh, you know, one of those sort of, uh, you know, ring devices mm-hmm. that give you community updates, neighbor updates. Right. And I saw something with respect to shooting. And, of course, couldn't really look at it because I was driving. So pulled up got home and saw the the message uh on on my phone right active shooter etc cetera, etc cetera. right that term in and of itself active shooter is just like one that incites fear because i think like for me my brain kind of well i i jump into survivor mode no matter what but like when i see the term active shooter that means imminent danger figure out what's going on, make sure everybody you know is protected. I, I just hate that term. But you you read about it then? Well, yeah, I, I read that there was something happening on, on campus that it had not yet been resolved. And the thing about it is that over the past several years, over the past decades, we hear stories about mass shootings on campuses, mass shootings, different venues. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I got numb to it. I got numb to it because with each successive story, it just became normalized. Yeah. Until, until... This one. Until this one, because it it was happening at Michigan State campus and... Close to you. I don't live too far from Michigan State. And so, yeah, there were feelings of, should I stay in my car? Should I, I mean... uh, who knows where this person is? It didn't seem like anybody had any information at that particular point in time. Or they were not releasing information at that particular point in time. But, of course, there were shelter-in-place yes, orders. And orders. Stuff like that. Exactly. And so, and so, yeah. So, you know, Berkey Hall um, was one of the venues uh, where uh, students were attacked. And, you yeah. know, Berkey Hall has been, it was a second home to me. You know, the when I was, this, I'm a sociologist. The sociology department was in that building, 
and is in that building. And so in terms of my life at, in Michigan, I mean, that Mercury Hall was the center of it because uh, that's where we, I had my classes. Right. I taught my first classes in the United States in that building. Um, I still have friends in that sociology department. So it changes um, this for you. The, I mean, the, the memories are, are, I mean, I've heard this from a lot of people, and so you, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but like Michigan State and the places that we frequent, the memories kind of change and are tainted based on what occurred. Is, is it, it, yeah, it, it absolutely hits, hits different. Yeah. You know, you know we talk, I talk about it all the time in terms of theory versus reality. Right. And uh, it's one thing to talk about violence, but when it happens to you, yes. it's a familiar feeling because, yeah. you know, coming from Jamaica, Jamaica is, um, you know, one of the most, in my opinion, one, you know, this is a biased opinion, but one of the most wonderful places on the entire planet. But we do have a crime problem. We do have a crime problem. Uh, it, it got to the degree where whether you were uptown, or you were in certain other parts, you were in the ghetto, what have you, violence touched you in some way because right. you knew people that have been victims of violence. Yes. And, uh, you know, Jamaica is so small that the, the, th- the places where bad things happened, where violent things happened, was only a mm-hmm. stone's throw from where you might be. Right, so it's, it's, it's somewhat unavoidable. It's unavoidable. You're going to be touched by it's, violence in some way. It's a and part I mean, of life. Yeah, I mean, and I, I definitely have had plenty of that growing up as well. But I like that you said the theory versus reality. I mean, as a criminologist, I have been trained to understand this type of thing. And I went into this training to understand this type of thing based on my my experiences. But it's always different when you experience it than versus knowing about it. And I was prepared, but then still not prepared. Do you know what I mean? Like, I jumped into the mode of, like, trying to take care of people and and, and engaging in community here as soon as I could. But then also, as soon as I got time to myself, started crying and realizing that this is a collective trauma for all of us. And I really like how the community jumped together to help with, like, student care. But I feel like there has been quite a bit of ignoring the surrounding impact on the rest of the community and the faculty and staff haven't seemed to be getting as much care. Again, I'm not saying that we should take any kind of care away from the students, but the the over-focus on them being the only one impacted, which of course they are, and yeah, of course, we should be taking care of them, but like we need to, com- to come together as a community and take care of everybody because... We're, we have to weather this storm together and in order to come back together as a community and protect each other and things like that, there needs to be that sense of community amongst all and taking care of each other. Um, but it is really nice that, it, like, you know, there was lots of free stuff for students and it just kind of feels a little bit like they were trying to throw band-aids on flesh wounds. But it, it is good that they're trying and, and doing all that stuff. But I still feel, you know, what, what are we, a month out? Not even. Three weeks? Month? Something like that? I don't know. Time time is evasive. It's still impacting a lot of people I know that were also not physically there, right? But in the community and people still like having nightmares about it and things like that. I don't think that's going to go away at any time. And I know for me personally, you know, I was somewhere where we locked the doors, you know, I was at a local establishment. But I tried to go into another local establishment because I was on my way there when I found out and they kicked us out. 
And I was like, that's not safe. <laughs> like, what are you doing? I understand they, they walked people out. They walked, they walked us out. But I was like, this isn't, this is not the way. We should all just like stay in place. But everybody, they shut the place down and everybody left. And I was like, no, you stay where you are. You shouldn't go out in the community. So we ended up going to an establishment down the street. And that, there I was like, I told the person, like, we need to lock us, ourselves in here. That needs to happen. And that's what happened. So were you concerned that maybe they, their assailant may have gotten into the building already before you? No, no. I, I wasn't too worried about that because I was on the, the media with uh, MSU police um, and looking at the updates and, like, the person had just done the second thing recently and so and then they said they were on the run so I, I mean given the proximity they would have had to been in a vehicle which i don't think i mean they weren't but wanted to get locked you need to lock in you know when somebody's on the run in case they decide to like engage in more violence i mean if there is no like cautionary tale then the dc shooting should be one because that i mean there's multiple types of shootings that yeah it starts as, a, as a, like a particular shooting but then they go around and and shoot other places. And you remember the DC shooting? Yeah, where it was it was a guy in a van and and going around and it was over the course of a few days if I'm remembering correctly, wasn't it? So like that community lived in fear for for a while. That's why you know trying to figure out. I mean, obviously we weren't going to like try to sleep at this establishment overnight, but in there was enough you know law enforcement and emergency first responders on on the side of looking for them, I figured that the person would get caught in that evening. And I called it too. I said, this sounds like a person who's about to, if they get caught, they're going to kill themselves because it's such, it's such a common tale, um, unfortunately. And suicide is no joke. I'm not making, making light of that at all. Uh, I had a feeling that was going to happen since it is one of the most common things. And luckily, uh, we didn't have to stay in flux for too long before we found out the end of that. But, you know, that's hard. That's a, that's a hard space to be in for anybody, um, especially for the people who are on campus that they're they're looking on their social media. And I was sitting there and I was like, people do not do not post anybody. Anybody, please don't post. They're like, oh, there's multiple shooters. And I was like, no, probably not. Just look what law enforcement saying, not that I necessarily, they're not like updating it like good, but like sharing misinformation is going to cause more of a problem. My biggest fear, which I don't know if you had this fear, my biggest fear, especially when there was the post of, you know, that there was multiple shooters and it was actually like the picture of like, it was like a SWAT team that was running around, um, was that somebody vigilanteism was going to go up there and try to like handle it themselves. I, w I really was afraid of that. Um, and I've been afraid of that before. Because there are there are people that are like, oh, I got guns and I can handle this and I can protect us and then I can get the bad guys, bad guys, which is I'm putting that in quotations. And, and then they act out of a fear based response and then they end up causing more harm. Luckily, that did not happen. I mean, you, I'm sure you saw the like aerial photo of like how many first responders are at Michigan State. And I just wanted to kind of really quick just really commend uh, law enforcement for uh, moving in and really doing as best as they could in, in you know, in such sort a of short space of time. I just thought it was really remarkable. I don't think there could have been any faster response. It was a very quick response. Um than 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 what I I, I read about and what I, I, I kind of um you know got updates. Pictures um, speak a thousand words. I saw that aerial photo of how many responders were on there. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. That's why I felt like it was going to be resolved relatively quickly because the amount of response that was occurring. 
Yes. I also felt it would have been a challenge too because I mean, Michigan State University is vast. Mm-hmm. It's huge. It big, and there are many wooded areas. There are many yes. buildings that are yes. open. Yes. And at that point in time, lots of people running to and fro. So I, I, mm-hmm. I just have to, you know, tip my hat to the law enforcement that really responded in in such a speedy manner. Yeah. No, I'm I'm very grateful that it kind of it got handled in the in the manner that which it did. I just um, I'm still impacted by it. I think we're all processing. Folks process things like this in in different ways. And as a professor. I've always wondered if this was going to happen um, at our university because it's such a common occurrence in the United States. When I started teaching, it was at Michigan State, and that was in 2005, five or six. I didn't really think about that at that time. It happened, but it wasn't as common, and there wasn't as much response to it. And, I mean, we're talking about generational differences here. You and I, you know, you come from Jamaica, too. But, like, in the United States, when I was a kid, our drills were of tornado drills. They weren't active shooter drills. And because this is happening at universities and schools, the norm, the regular here is you may or may not be exposed to gun violence while you're trying to seek your education. Good luck. And, you know, also, too, this brings up some larger questions about about gun violence in, in American society. Yes. You know, um, I mean, there's a lot of attention with respect to these um, these mass shootings, but the unfortunate thing, the tragic thing is that you know, people are dying every day because of, of gun violence. And That's true. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, this is something that uh, no doubt um, we'll be talking about, uh, well, we, we could thinking, do a series. <laughs> we could do a series about this, um, and 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 perhaps some future point we'll do a deep dive with respect to issues around gun violence. Yes, I second that. The response was good, but gun violence isn't just schools. You know, gun violence is a, is an epidemic in the United States, and then in certain communities, it's more prevalent, and the response is not as quick and vast. And that's something I would like to delve into too. But we'll do that in a different episode. But what we can talk about today is, you know, I don't want to like parrot what other pundits and things are saying. I'm not going to get into the like the political debate. But even that night when I was locked in, somebody wanted to talk about guns to me. And I was like, I can't right now. I, I cannot have this discussion with you right now. This is a survival mode indication. I'm texting with people who I know, who I love and care about that are currently on campus, and I want to be emotional support to them. I'm not going to debate you about the intricacies of gun control tonight. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But as a stance, and I've been on the same stance, you know, I've got evidence-based research on this, uh, is that we should be mimicking other countries that have had similar issues pop up, and then they get stricter with their gun control, and then those problems do disappear. Now, people are like, oh, this is the United States, and it's a right to bear arms, and I don't know if anybody saw the John Stewart thing, where the he, I'm not even really sure which politician he was arguing with um, about drag shows, you know, because there's a, like a big problem with drag shows and that being dangerous to children, but then John Stewart handed him his ass 
by by basically talking about the fact, well, the Lord, you're, you're saying that you need to protect children from drag queens, but gun violence is the number one killer of children in the United States. So why aren't we more worried about protecting kids from that? Right. I, I saw a clip of it, but I'm, I'm going to have to watch the whole thing because I'm not quite sure. Yeah. No, the whole context, okay. of, you know, it could be that uh, was was John Stewart upset because this person was not supportive of the existing discussion about, you know, uh, or existing solutions with how to address gun violence? Or was he just denying the very issue of gun violence i haven't i haven't seen the entire no he wasn't he wasn't denying it uh he was avoiding it and saying that the only reason that there needs to be legislation um against drag queens lgbtq generally because there's a there's a there's a war on lgbtq right now right we know that like there's lots of legislation that is occurring against the my people uh but it's it was like okay. His the the politician's main argument was that it's it's about protecting kids, and he's like, well, if you're protecting kids, why wouldn't you be doing anything about gun control? Because you're about freedom of that, but not freedom of expression or speech for for drag queens. Yeah, you should definitely watch it. It's it's a good one because like I'm obviously on the side of evidence based research suggests over and over again that guns in the home is a very dangerous thing. You are very likely to be harmed by your own weapon, and especially children. And a lot of people don't lock up uh, their guns properly. Now, some people do, and I'm not saying, I mean, so when when my ex and I were together and, you know, Ellie would have playdates, one of the questions I would ask um, any parent before I would leave her there is, do you have guns in the home? Can I see where you put them and how you keep them? Because I'm not leaving her here without knowing that your guns are locked up properly. So based on your research, the majority of shootings, gun violence, is it because people don't lock their, their guns up at home? I mean, some of it. I mean, a lot of the research shows that these are legally obtained weapons. I mean, especially so, the mass shooting ones. I mean, a lot of these are yeah, legally Yes, some of the mass obtained. shootings, but the mass shootings are not... Not are, always, are, yeah. They are dropping the bucket in comparison to the majority of gun, gun violence in the no, country. No, it's not. It, you're right. You're right. It's just the most um, media-perpetuated image because of the sheer violence and imagery behind it and it's very it's an extremely like tragic viewpoint so like media wants it and everybody knows about it and it and it shakes an entire community in ways that uh yeah it's so, it's more it, it actually we're, we're talking about it being common but you're right it's a drop in the bucket it's actually kind of more rare than ordinary gun violence and ordinary is like a word that i wouldn't really like necessarily use you know what i mean so I will ask because you've done the research on it. You're, you know, you're a criminologist. But so, if the majority of gun violence is done by by folk who come by their weapons illegally, then what that happens when you tighten the restrictions on law-abiding citizens? Does that solve anything, or does that is is that just again it makes it a drop harder. in the bucket? It oh. makes it harder to obtain, even even illegally. Because it limits the amount that's available, period. Buying guns in the United States is an extremely easy thing to do, legally or illegally. 
the more difficult we make it to have guns, own guns, and making sure that people should have them. Because it's such a deeply personal thing. Like, for me personally, I hate them. I don't like them. I don't like guns. I grew up seeing too much of it. I've experienced too much of it. I've had guns held to my head. I don't like them. Yeah. I've, uh, yes, I've been held at gunpoint. I don't like them. I, I, I feel like the reason that we have such a like problem in our culture, I know I just freaked out Cedric, y'all. He's looking at me. All right. I'm sorry. So that's a, that's a, I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't mean to like trauma dump or anything. Oh, not, it's not, not at all. Not at all. It's but just, I'm saying it's deeply personal. Like, right. It's hard for me. Mm-hmm. I teach about it in a classroom and I bring the research up, but I also, you know, I do talk about the fact that I personally do not like them. They freak me out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I could I could be around them for like when people use them for sport, but I also like there are certain people in my life that I know that have guns that it freaks me out that they're allowed to have them. Why? Because they have really like fear based responses, and you know they seem like if they got too angry, they might use it inappropriately. So you grew up seeing guns being used around, around in in the environment that you were in. Sometimes. Was it per, was it particularly for was it for hunting or no 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 skeet shooting or no no okay just because protection just to, yeah people wanted them for protection against what? other people other people okay and I think that's the main thing that we. Um, the reason we own, we own a lot of guns in U.S. society, we, we are not using them for hunting. You don't need an AK, whatever, whatever, for hunting. Mm. You know, these, it may, I, after the Michigan State thing, I heard from numerous people, and it was, it was hard for me. Like, I'm getting choked up right now. Um, it's hard for me to hear because they're like, well, at least. And I hate when people at least, right? Well, at least it wasn't an AK-47. He would have killed more people. And I was like, I, I see what you're saying. But also, like, come on, <laughs> like, at least in the situation, you know, t- tell that to the parents of the students that died, you know, tell that to the parents and family and loved ones, you know, of the people who ended up in critical care that night. Don't at least me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's making me cry. But being around uh, guns and being a criminologist has proven to be a very interesting aspect because growing up here and then like living in other countries, it's something that everybody wants to talk to me about. Um, it is a very common, and I talk to my students about this all the time. When I've lived in Europe and other places, the first thing they want to talk to me is about gun violence in America. I mean, there are people who are legitimately afraid to come over here because they think we're all just running around shooting each other up. I, some of that's true, right? Like, I, I'm trying to, like, no, it's not, I mean, I, they're building it up in their head because based on what the media perpetuates, but also it's like, I don't know how to alleviate some of the fear, especially if they are a person of color, you know, or LGBTQ, you know, where there's a heightened risk of gun violence for marginalized communities. I, I do wonder, criminologists like to talk about this, what they call it, cramogenic effects, Yes. Right. And so think about, uh, you know, poverty, lack of opportunity. Yes. And the conditions in which you have gangs emerging and 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 so forth. 
um, I do think about maybe, you know, some of the larger sort of social forces that 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 are behind the gun violence. Not saying that poverty is a big one. I mean, I mean, we want to boil it down to like a simplified answer is is poverty. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's and capitalistic society has made it worse. It's definitely worth delving into. Yeah, we should definitely get into this um, in, in more detail because I, I'm I'm fascinated. It's not my sort of neck in the woods uh, as far as um, you know, expert sociological expertise is concerned. So, but you are still a sociologist, so you you know you have a viewpoint on this. I have the questions. I have the questions. Right. I, I certainly have the questions. I you know and uh, well, we yeah. can also talk about the impact of gender on on violence because. We're, we're generally not talking about women running around shooting up people. One of the things that I talk about regarding like mass shootings, um, you know, people want to jump to mental health, right? They want to be like, okay, this person was mentally unstable and that's why they did this. Lots of mental health research demonstrates lots of people have mental health issues that don't go around being violent and shooting people up. So, so it's, like it's, a, of- it's, a, it's a hegemonic toxic masculinity problem. And in that, what do I mean by that? Because when I, when you start to say toxic masculinity, people's ears shut off. They really do. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about the patriarchy. They don't want to talk about toxic masculinity. They don't want to talk about the fact that we teach men and boys not to feel their feelings. You know, you can feel anger, but you can't feel sadness. And anger, if it's processed, can give you information. Anger, if it's left unchecked. Or discharged can be violent, and that can happen for women or men or anybody, right? Not feeling your feelings, bottling them up. As I like to say, shit comes out sideways. And to the level that it comes out sideways, it can be violent, very violent, extreme violence, depending on the person and how much they've bottled up and what's happened to them. You know, we talk about trauma a lot in my victimology courses. Of course we do. When you're saying, you know, the gender argument, like, yes, of course, women can be violent, too. I mean, anybody can be violent. Mm -hmm. But trauma responses can sometimes be somewhat violent or like they're bad. They're not a bad person. They've had a lot of bad stuff happen to them. And I always say to that, that might be a reason, but it's not an excuse. You know, bad things happening to people doesn't give them the license to harm other people. But we kind of tend to allow for that a little bit. We justify other people's bad behavior because of the bad things that happen to them. I mean, you know, there's a whole adage, hurt people hurt people, right? But they don't have to. Not everybody does that. No, not, not clearly not everybody who grows up in, in, in an impoverished situation or a dysfunctional situation ends up becoming a, a mass murderer or anything. Or, you know, somebody who commits crime. No. But... Yeah, just alluding to... We could talk about crime theory forever, (laughs) because... Right. We're going to go deeply criminological... Criminological. (laughs) Criminological. uh, Crime theory uh, up in here. Um, Right, you know, and so... But, you know, know, we can acknowledge that there is a kind of... um, You know, there are cycles that exist. And, you know, when people are unfortunate to grow up in certain circumstances, there is a higher probability of continuing this, continuing certain types of violent behavior. Not in every situation, but I probably, mean, probability is 
So if you're to look at, you know, um, but there's plenty of people who don't grow up in those situations that also engage in it. So what's the reasoning behind that? Well, in terms of numbers, and you know, perhaps you know, um, we can, you know, whoever is listening can, you know, go and look for themselves. But in terms of, I can I can post some stuff with this one too. Ter- you know, I'll post some links with it. But in terms of those who so um, crime talk. who have committed crime, who have committed violent crime, it's you know, there's lesser chance. You know, in terms of gun violence, for example, there's a lesser chance of them growing up in a white middle class home, well to do home, as opposed to growing up in a disadvantaged community. So, just speaking in terms of, so I can say that without supporting, you know, um, supporting, you know, that sort of behavior, I can just say that, well, yes. This is, this is just generalizable. This is what the data, this is, you know, what sociologists, we generalize, you know, and we say that, you know, this is not to say that, you know, you cannot have somebody from a, you know, a, a, a sort of quote unquote broken home rising to do good, to, you know, not be violent, to be a, a, a you know, a quote unquote functioning person in society. So I'm, I'm not saying that um, somebody's doomed to, you of course know, not. right. But no, of course not. The reality is, is back to the poverty discussion, is lack of access to resources. Because we've talked about this, because as you know, I, tr- I class jumped, right? And how rare that is in this society. Like, I grew up poor, and I'm now somewhat middle class. <laughs> I'm middle class. You know, I own my own home and stuff like that. Uh, but that is an extremely difficult thing to do. So generalizable research suggests that no matter how hard you work, if you grow up in poverty, that's what you're doomed to have. No. Well, yes, and th- that's a part of it. That's a part so, of it. I mean, so that's, that's generalizable, too. That's, that's generalizable. That, that... Yes. I, yes. You know, the data says that, you know, in the United States, um, compared to other countries, uh, social mobility... Even though the United States is seen as a place where people, you know, go from rags to riches. I mean, that's the narrative. But, you know, um, it doesn't happen for everybody. But generally speaking, I mean... It's a false narrative. Well, class movement does exist. Class mobility does exist in the United States. Um, I I don't want us to... It's just not as common as people would suggest when we're talking about the American dream in quotation marks. I I got you on that one. But I (laughs) I want to push back a little bit. I want to push back a little bit in terms of, um, you know, what I believe to be a false narrative that is concerned or what the data actually suggests. Okay. Yes, please. The data suggests that people do move around. Yeah. Especially within what they call the middle classes. So, you know, that stuff does happen. Right. Right. Yes. Um, There's a greater chance of somebody, of course, you know, remaining in their class position. But there is movement. Mm -hmm. What's what's especially rare is people moving from the lowest rungs. To the highest rung, yes. and vice versa. But you do have you do have um, you know yes. uh, you know slippage from time to time generationally. So if you look at, for example, the you know the billionaires in the United States right now, um, you know many of them actually surprisingly, you know weren't born billionaires. Yes, we can say that there's a high likelihood of them not being born into the you know the depths of poverty. The middle class, as we know it, of course, um, you know, that's changing because of policy. That's changing. But that's one of the things that bring a lot of people uh, here to the United States. The possibility of having some sort of movement, bettering your circumstance. But when people come here, because of the way our society is, there's a lot of barriers here based on if you aren't 
quote unquote from here, right? And that's still kind of like, and I don't want to mean to oversimplify it. And I, I do appreciate your like more nuanced discussion of the class mobility issues as a sociologist. That's not my, that's not my area. I got the crime over here. I got you. You got that. But regarding immigration and stuff like that, it's extremely difficult. I mean, you've experienced some of this stuff as well, a upwardly mobile person. You're a professional. Yeah, it's it's yeah. It's not easy. It's it's you know what. What would say about that? It's that it's 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 complicated. Yeah. So, you know, um, so immigrants who come to the U.S. you have different types, right? So you have different, you know, different groups coming to the United States with different levels of human capital. Yes. And and so so you know some come with um, not a lot of um, you know wealth or education right. or anything like that. You know, some some straight up escaping from somewhere just trying to. Some are refugees. Yes. Precisely. And so it really kind of depends on context in which you're coming into the country and your human capital. And in terms of my path, it hasn't been the easiest in terms of um, having to forego, you know, some opportunities that are, you know, um, meant to be for Americans. Being at a university, there is some good fortune there because universities are able to kind of They're more of an oasis bring in certain types of talent. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. if I came to the United States, you know, without certain background, the roadblocks are, are, are quite, you know. So I came in, uh, you know, documented, and I remained in that status throughout. But yes, in terms of mobility and you know poverty and absolutely, yeah, you do have. I agree with you. You have immigrants who do face. Real formidable challenges. Enormous barriers. Absolutely. So, and we're definitely probably going to need to split this into two. Because <laughs> I think we, we went an hour, didn't we? Yeah, just about. Yeah. Are we good? We're good. Yep, we're good. That's a good one. Yeah, I, I felt good about that. You've been listening to Hot Topics Reframe, topics that are hot with a lot of thought, with Rebecca Hayes and Cedric Taylor, and our awesome, amazing producer.